the masters almost surely have a plan This clearly may be something near beyond the realm of man And until you thoroughly tested every last close trusted view I find the more you think you know, the less you really do That's true, Dr. Sayers Where would we be without THC? Side chatters as we continue to awaken from a carefully crafted reality full of seductive ads, shallow distractions, and sad cubicles, we've come to face the fact that we know very little about the bigger picture beyond the smoke and mirrors of modern culture. Thus, we take it upon ourselves to keep on keeping on, exploring the multitude of alternative paradigms and models attempting to answer the big questions the system seems intent on keeping securely behind the curtain. Where did the human story begin? Why does there seem to be an occult subtext to nearly everything when you learn how to look for it? And who's really pulling the strings of the publicly facing elite class? Well, we realize a lot of effort has been exhausted destroying very specific worldviews that seem to be re-emerging again now more than ever. And while the details, names, archetypes, and their moral alignments can vary from researcher to researcher, one theme that comes back consistently is that the world is not what we're told it is, and the big secret very well may be that all of society's razzle-dazzle is there to distract us from our servitude to something unseen. Call them the wardens of our prison planet or the cultivators of human crops and some type of energy farm, but however you view it, the truth seems very ancient, very well hidden, and lucky for us is very much the focus of today's guest, Robert Stanley. Robert has been exploring these questions about as long as I've been alive, having come face-to-face with mind parasite possession in 1985, and his widely discussed account of seeing a young boy thrust himself through a sliding glass door firsthand. As Robert attempted to help, the archons he saw swarming overhead sent him on a lifelong pursuit of answers and a dedication to sharing the information he's gathered in the three decades since. He's released numerous deep-level research articles on many topics that touch on these themes, and two very revealing books that explore this otherworldly influence in our governmental epicenter entitled Close Encounters on Capitol Hill, and covert encounters in Washington, D.C. During his passionate pursuit of modern and ancient mysteries, Robert has traveled to 58 countries in 57 years, and his ongoing investigations have been featured on television, radio, print, and now on the Higher Side Chats. All the way from Hong Kong, Robert, my man, welcome to THC. Greg, wow, thank you. I'm honored. That was an awesome introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, man. Thanks. I try, and I appreciate you being here. I'm really excited to dive right into the deep end of the pool. Obviously, I tried to grease the wheels a little bit there with that introduction, but talk to us a little bit about your path through the research and some of the conclusions you've been able to come to at this stage of the game. Okay. I mean, that's a good question. You know, here's the problem. Most of the information that's floating around out there is speculative. Yes. And, okay, so when we talk about information, it's not vetted. It hasn't been validated. And that's where we're, I feel like we've been um, <clears throat> shortchanged. It's obvious that someone, whether they be in the government or extraterrestrials themselves, they, they're not giving the public access to credible, hardcore information, stuff that we can actually vet Mm -hmm. and know is factual, you know, and that's one of the big problems with this field. Yes, there's a lot of theory 
running around, a lot of speculation, and it's fascinating. And some of it is probably accurate, but again, it's, you know, okay, so I've, I try and put pictures up on a lot of my material, but that by themselves doesn't prove anything. For example, you'd mentioned I wrote two books about UFOs and extraterrestrials in Washington, D.C. We have authentic photos of them landing on the Capitol building, hmm. July 16, 2002. Yeah, you'd think that would be a big story. Nobody wants to touch it. And, you know, the problem there, again, is the government won't talk about it. The extraterrestrials themselves didn't hang out long enough to give a press conference, which I'm sure they could have done, even though I'm sure the military would have shown up if they'd really hung around long enough, because that seems to be part of the deal, too. There, They play cat and mouse games mm -hmm. with our military. But anyway, I, I fault not only our government, certainly the Vatican has a lot of information they're withholding, and the extraterrestrials themselves are, are really... Uh, <laughs> They're not forthcoming with any hardcore information or artifacts. <laughs> That's true. And it does seem like, as I've gotten into your research, it expands a lot further than just what's going on in the microcosm of Washington, D.C., but it does yeah. still seem like that is a really important piece of the puzzle. What can you say to kind of clarify people's understanding of how the Archons or E.T. are working with or controlling the American machine in particular? <laughs> that's a can of worms, Greg. Yeah, look, I didn't even plan on that. I, I mean, it was, I think it was May of nine, no, 2005. Daryl Sims sent me an email that he got from a photographer in Washington, D.C. And Daryl was asking me if I thought that the photographs were real. Well, I mean, in the age of Photoshop, how could you tell, right? Right. But there was a contact information there for the photographer, and so I called him up, and we talked, and we've been friends ever since. But that's what led to me writing the first article, and that's also what led to a black helicopter coming directly to my home <laughs> and harassing me at my home in the afternoon in uh, Los Angeles when I was living there. So clearly they, they were very concerned about the fact that I published those pictures that were taken in Washington, D.C. on July 16, 2002, why are they hiding all this stuff? Well, in my opinion, now all these years later, after having written two books, <laughs> I mean, there's literally like over 800 pages of material mm -hmm. that I, I wrote on that subject. And also all the photo. It wasn't just those photographs that were taken by uh, Mr. Will Brown. It was all the other people's photographs that corroborated what, you know, he had gotten. And so I started to, especially in the second book, in the conclusion of the second book, I realized that, and this is in the historical record, it's not something I made up, but there is a very strong satanic and Luciferian undercurrent, if not foundation, for Washington even existing the way it is. That I was very surprised as I was writing that, but I think a lot of people know that there's these weird like pentagrams and other things that, that were incorporated into the city itself, but... It's more than that. I mean, the, the Vatican was a huge influence in, in all of this, and mm -hmm. they do have some, some serious problems. They go way back to Babylon and, and all the, the Anunnaki gods, and basically they're, in my opinion, when I've learned about it, they, they look at us as just their property, and that's not a good thing, obviously. So, no. right? 
But the thing that really disturbed me about my research in Washington, D.C. was the true story, allegedly, of a boy, 13-year-old boy that was possessed. He was living uh, just on the outskirts of the city, Washington proper, okay? But, I mean, it was still near the district. And it was in the newspapers, I think it was 47, around the time when a lot of UFO activity was really starting to become prevalent and reported in the newspapers back then. And this 13-year-old boy allegedly was acting like he was possessed. It was driving his family crazy. They called in a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist gave him drugs that didn't stop it. Then somebody said, well, you need to get some, you know, you need to get an exorcist in here. And they did multiple exorcisms there as well as in Chicago. And eventually the boy, from what I understand, and his family, they got some relief and went on with their life. But it got me thinking. It reminded me of what happened in 1985 when I was in Malibu right. with that boy. Yeah, it, it made me think back, like, wait, 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 hold on a second. If these parasites are, if they're all over the place, it would make sense they'd go to Washington, D.C. And, and I don't think it's just that boy. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think the government and politicians that are being affected by these archons, do you think they know of it? Are they like in partnership with these entities or is it some kind of mind parasite that they might be ignorant of? It depends who we're talking about. I mean, that's there's a lot of people that work for the government. and they Different levels. Yeah, compartmentalized. That's right. But Nick Redfern wrote a book about this, and I, I never can remember the title of the book, but it, he essentially exposed a group within the U.S. government that knows about this. They're called the Collins Elite. Mm. Collins Elite. And they <laughs> foolishly thought that they could create some sort of alliance with these entities to defeat our perceived enemies, whatever it may be, the Nazis, the Russians, you name it, right? Maybe now it's Islam. Uh, It's insane. I mean, really, technically, this is a form of insanity. These parasites do make people crazy, and it is very clear when someone is badly infected by the mental parasite, they are psychopathic, meaning they have no empathy. It's the opposite of empathy is psychopathy. Mm-hmm. And they also, although most people won't admit it, they're hearing voices. And those voices are very clear as far as I know. They can mimic whoever they want to manipulate a person. So let's just say, you know, my, I'm suddenly hearing the voice of my deceased grandmother telling me, you know, I need to go do something. Typically, it wouldn't be my grandmother. It would be these entities. And so, you know, the harshest thing that I learned about all this in my years of actually decades of research is that these things apparently need us. They feed off of energy that's released through our DNA on a cellular level when we hurt ourselves and or others. And this is why they're constantly provoking us to do harm. Mm. Interesting, man. And so... You know, your books talk about UFOs. We're talking about mind parasites. I wouldn't think these mental parasites are the same as these UFO pilots. So how can we kind of parse out who's who and what we're dealing with here? No, that's that's an excellent question. So unfortunately, (laughs) when I first started down this path in 1985, I really didn't know what was going on. (laughs) I had no clue. And most people that I spoke to had no idea either. However, one of my friends that I grew up with, we were talking, and he he went to his parents' libraries. They were they're writers in Hollywood, 
naturally. Malibu is just that kind of a place. There's a lot of celebrities and Hollywood types. Anyway, he went to his parents' library, grabbed this book, and he said, I think you should read this. He hadn't even read it, but he just gave it to me. And he says, you know, there's probably some answers in here. It was just kind of a thing he did. So I started reading it, and sure enough, there was, uh, that was about 1986. I didn't fully understand that the information was right there until 2014. Hmm. And it, here's what it is. I know this sounds controversial, but allegedly the guy that wrote the book, he was a friend of my dad, turns out. <laughs> a lot of weird coincidences, right? Synchronicities, whatever you call it. Mm-hmm. So this guy writes a book. Part of it, he says, the information was given to him by benevolent human extraterrestrials in the 1950s. And they described to this author, his name's Norman Paulson, he's deceased now, but he claims that they told him that Lucifer was the one that had created these mental parasites that the Gnostics called the Archons. Now, he didn't say it exactly in those words, but I I actually have uh, posted his exact transcript or that section of the book, and it gave some pretty clear explanation about it. Because see, as I read it, I didn't know that he was talking about the mental parasites and, and how Lucifer, also known as Enki, to most people that have read Sitchin, they'll know who I'm talking about. He is the one who, he and his crew used to be builders of worlds. They were divine beings. And they still are on some level, unfortunately. They went into an area that was off limits, what Norman called a forbidden zone. I don't know what that is. Hmm. He didn't say, okay, but this is what he was told. And when Enki, when he and his crew went into the forbidden zone, they were so badly traumatized, they suffered multiple personality disorder, which they still suffer from today. And they also accidentally created these mental parasites. And only last year, yeah, last, it's last year, I found an article about Tibetan Buddhist monks mm. that they can actually, they say that if they feel threatened, they will create an external thought form entity that will attack their adversary. Interesting. So, yeah, it's, it's just there's a lot of clues here that I've kind of pulled together to sort of help people understand what we're dealing with here. Ultimately, one of the biggest clues was when I studied digital physics. Have you ever heard of that? No, only from your work. Yeah. And, you know, here's the thing. I never heard of it either. But at some point, a guy that works at the patent office in Washington, D.C. heard me speaking on a radio show. And he just sent me three books. It was a series about the theory of everything. And it it was (laughs) <laughs> everything you need to know about digital physics. It took me almost a year. Oh, I, I swear, I'm a good reader, but the thing was that some of these concepts were so uh, alien to me. No pun intended. Yeah, but it was. It was really foreign. And yeah. I think what it was, okay, so we're all programmed, right, through education and entertainment. And I have an open mind, but it's like, it was like having to unlearn certain things. And that's why it took me a year to read through these 1200 pages. And here's the summary I can give people benefit of <laughs> that. It was, it was kind of a headache actually, but it makes a lot of sense in regards to this. Consciousness is primary right now. Physics say it's just an accident. 
they, they don't they don't factor it in. You know, it's crazy. Right, it's right. like a bunch of chemicals accidentally combine and suddenly there's consciousness. Like, right. Kind of like the Gnostic idea that the material world is illusionary and that the primary existence is a consciousness yes. based existence. It, right. And on, that's one of the reasons that I believe they were completely eradicated. Oh, yeah. Because they did have they had access to and look, the Nagamati so-called library that's nothing that's absolutely just a drop in a bucket there was thousands and thousands and thousands of scrolls that were all destroyed just like the gnostics themselves they had to go because they were i guess they knew too much Hmm. you know they weren't playing the game anyway so here's the deal digital physics means that consciousness is a wave but it can be measured as a digit in other words if you think of a wave if you can just draw a horizontal wave in your mind, right, you've got the peak and the trough. The top of the wave or the peak would be considered an on, like a one. The trough would be considered a zero or off. Mm-hmm. Off doesn't mean non-existent. All right? I want people to be very clear about this. So the reason I'm telling you this is because what they're claiming in this new model of physics is that everything is being processed as information. All the waveforms in all of creation are essentially digital. Even though we think of it as analog, it can be processed on a digital level. So I know that's a little convoluted, but here's the the bottom line for me. Consciousness is the highest waveform that we know of. Mm -hmm. If you slow it down, it becomes what we would call energy. If you slow it down even more, it becomes matter. So matter is not an illusion. It's an extension of consciousness. And that the reason I'm telling people this, and I know you've heard me say it before, but a lot of people haven't heard this before. It's, and it's really important. Our thoughts, I mean, nothing would happen if we didn't have thoughts, right? We'd just be, just try and just be a bag of bones sitting around. In fact, all the words coming out of my mouth right now, physically, are being initiated by non-physical consciousness, right? So in other words, we're multidimensional beings, and this makes a lot of sense because we live in a multidimensional universe. It's not all physical. It's not all energetic or non-physical. It's a combination of both, and that's where I feel one of the great disservices that education, science has done to us is force us to only see it one way. It's not holistic, okay? It's mechanistic. It's it's reductionist kind of. It's it's a. I think it's kind of insane, actually. Right, man. I, I mean, it is, and that's a very good kind of visual roadmap for reality. But how do the frequently visiting UFOs tie into the Archon situation? How do they relate? Yeah, that's okay. Most of the craft that we see here are part of Enki's empire. My understanding, this is, again, I, th- I don't just pull that out of my hat. It took me a lot of research. And when people say, where do you get this information? Well, anywhere and everywhere I can find it. Hmm. And uh, the thing is, I don't just accept one person as an authority on this because I don't think anybody, nobody has all the answers, right? So I tend to just look at, things and see if they fit because it's kind of like a cosmic jigsaw puzzle Mm -hmm. and it's really difficult because I I have no idea what the picture is that we're trying to put together here. Nobody gave us that roadmap. Exactly. Okay. So it's really difficult to find pieces when they fit and eventually. So this is what it looks like to me right now that 
when Enki, Lucifer, went mad, at the time, he was a prince. And his parents were the king and queen of the Orion Empire. Hmm. And because he went insane when he finally, he and his crew, when they finally made their way out of the Forbidden Zone, and they were just, you know, literally mad, they gone mad, insane. When he got home, they said, oh, wow, you're not fit to rule. We can't allow you to ascend to the kingship at some point in the future. Unless you can get well, that would be irresponsible. We can't just let you do that. I'm not sure he knows he's crazy. Hmm. You know, sometimes people with multiple personality disorder don't even know it. Or they can't control it because you never know which personality. In other words, they don't, they've sort of lost their integrity internally. There's this internal conflict that's raging all the time between these various personalities. What it is is the soul has literally been fragmented. Because the soul is a hologram to begin with, it's easy to break it up into pieces. But when, you know, when they're competing with one another, that is not a good thing. No. Right, right? It's just, yeah. So anyway, he said, my understanding is that I'm summarizing now, folks, okay? I, I don't expect you to just quote me on this, but my understanding is that he just decided, hey, you know what? Screw you guys. I'll start my own empire. I don't need you. So he went off and did that. And that's where the war in the heavens started. And it, it actually became a real problem. Ultimately, he took over this solar system and made it part of his empire. Hmm. Previously, this world, this solar system, all the life on here had been put here by his mother and his half, his younger half-brother. Hmm. And it was a paradise in the sense that they were cultivating it to be a blueprint for the rest of the Orion Empire. The way I understand it is that this is why there's such a great diversity of DNA and life forms here is because they brought life from all over their empire, placed it in one planet to see how that would play out. Interesting. And it was it was fine. It was fine up until the time that Enki or Lucifer came here and took over by force, killed most of the life forms, started manipulating them genetically. And this is important. It goes back to what I was saying before. Everything is consciousness, okay? So a god or goddess would literally manifest things by starting with their consciousness. It would then translate to energy and matter. Hmm. So... This is how they literally manifested everything. This is how universes are created. This is how our souls are created. Everything is thought forms or wavelengths. But the problem is, if you think back to what I said, Enki, his consciousness is corrupted. It's broken. Okay, it's shattered. And so he can't manifest with it any longer, at least not in the, in the divine sense that I was just describing. So he can only manipulate what has already been created. He can no longer manifest new energy and matter with his consciousness. And that's a problem, obviously. So he is a mad scientist, technically. I'm not sure he's the first, but he and his people are. So this is getting, I'm trying, I know this is a long way around answering your question. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, most of my understanding is most of the UFO technology that we see coming in and the people in them are part of Enki's empire, and they're just maintaining it. So all the rumors we're hearing, all the speculation about so-called secret space program, 
and super soldiers. That's a continuation of what Enki has been doing here ever since he established Atlantis. Mm. That's what we call it. And it wasn't just an island continent. It was a global power. Right. Yeah, it may, it, sure, it had a central base. Maybe it was Antarctica. I don't know. Ah, a lot of interest in Antarctica now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, well, I mean, the maps, the ancient maps, clearly show that it was ice-free not that long ago. Mm-hmm. At least, I mean, it's just, that's what it looks like to me. All right. I don't know about the, if it, I know a lot of flat earth people are like rolling their eyes going, hey, don't you know, it's all, we live in a you know, <laughs> little habitat. This is all whatever. I can't address that. But I do think that he took over this world by force. He changed everything from being a symbiotic life. I mean, that's just, this is, again, I find a very, very interesting contrast. All life on this world was symbiotic. It was incredibly diverse. The humans were actually, allegedly, they were hermaphrodite. Mm. And they were telepathic. They had the ability to not just remote view, but literally project part of their consciousness at a distance. Mm-hmm. And we've been like split into a world of duality? Well, yeah. Yes. Physically and in our consciousness, we became like him. He forced us to be like him in his empire. Most people don't have a clue about this, but I tell you what, the people, the so-called elite, the bloodlines, and this, they're very aware of it. They actually have a lot of pride in the fact that they're closely related to and they're consciously, they're aware of the fact they're serving Lucifer Enki. Right. Sitchin knew it too, by the way. I, I found that information recently. I was blown away by it. <laughs> he told us, he, yeah, he, me, he wasn't. Interject, a, I do want to get to the Stitch and stuff, but let me interject okay. for a second because that is a pretty good background. And you, you started talking about the families. And to bring yeah. this up into modern times, I did pull this paragraph off your website that might even take us a bit deeper into how this works, where okay. you say, in the audio clip I created, Hillary Clinton's strange statements like, I don't sweat because I'm a robot, are followed by revelations from a Washington, D.C. attorney about the covert development and deployment of androids that were created to replace powerful politicians. This is no laughing matter. This is the very information I was researching in 1991 when I was psychically attacked by one of Anki's androids. Wow, man. I know. And I've also heard you talk about the... Rodham family being in this elite class where they considered a treat to become a vessel for these yeah. overlords they serve, which might explain some of her odd campaign trail behavior. But what, do you, <laughs> but what do you think is going on here? Do we have archon-possessed politicians, AI-driven android replacements, or a bit of both? Is this two stages in the same agenda? Yes, actually it is. And, and that's what I was trying to say before. It isn't just black and white. It's multiple shades of gray and it makes it difficult. I understand it. It gets a little confusing for people because they want it to be, we have been conditioned to try and oversimplify things instead of looking at it holistically. I know it's a pain. I, I understand. But yeah, there are people that are possessed or manipulated by the archons that they typically, the ones that are really badly infected are just puppets. They're pawns of the archons and they, they rise to power because they're psychopathic. It's mm. easy for them to manipulate other people because they feel nothing. Right. They, they have no emotional connection. Can you give us any like publicly facing examples of people you might suspect would be in that camp? Oh, God. Well, yeah, actually, <laughs> did I send you the link to that new music video I did? Uh, we are the Archons. <laughs> you did. 
Okay, so yeah. But for I mean, people we, listening who didn't see that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, okay, I'm just sort of promoting it because that's new. And yeah, <laughs> there's some fa- there's faces of people that, to me, look like and act like they are clearly pawns of the archons. You know, politicians like George Bush Sr., George Soros, clearly, you know, to me, looks like he is. Pope Benedict. And others, you could see them all flashing across the screen. I, I, I don't want to. We could sit here for an hour and name people that I <laughs> think are, or they certainly act like they are, you know. And that's how you usually can tell because it's really hard to hide. Yeah, there are some people who you look in their eyes and it looks like there's something else driving that train. Right. But uh, I guess I wanted to try to contrast if there were some that we could see might be examples of an android replacement versus someone who's possessed. Oh, I see what you're asking me. Here's the thing. They would never put out an Android that looked like an Android. Right. Okay, because that would freak people out. Just like you don't see aliens walking down the street that look like aliens. They look like humans. And that's that's a real problem. I did cover that in my first book, my conversation with Command Sergeant Major Robert O'Dean. He's not feeling too hot these days, but I mean, he allegedly saw some report when he was working with NATO above top secret, whatever. They know that there are different groups here. And the one allegedly that, that worries them the most are the ones that are completely human Mm. naturally, because they can, they can infiltrate and it's not a problem. But you know, my understanding about people like Inky is, I mean, he's human enough uh, or humanoid. We know people, would know him as the fish god. This is why the, the Pope wears the fish hat. You know, he came out of the Mediterranean or the Persian Gulf, known as Oannes or Ea, E-A. And, and not that he came out of it. That's not where he's from, but I mean, he, he's aquatic. He's an amphibian. But he's also a shapeshifter, like most of them are. They have either it's the ability to somehow change their appearance to look like whatever they want, or it's some sort of hypnosis. Hmm. I, I really don't know how that works. I'm still, I'm very confused about it, but um, maybe that'll come out. Yeah. I, I imagine all this has got to, it's got to come out. So here's the bottom line. I feel that, like I said before, Enki does have artificial intelligence. He wants all of us to go that direction. Clearly that's part of his agenda right now and into the future, with, you know, what they're calling the singularity, or at least that's what Rick Kurzweil is calling it. And, I sent you a link today. It's on the Drudge Report like every day. There's there's a story or two stories about robotics, artificial intelligence. It's not going to go away. It's going to keep getting more and more in our face. I think behind the scenes, it's far more advanced than we ever could imagine. And some of it is non-physical, which I find really weird. The, The final book in the trilogy, The Space Odyssey by Arthur C. Clarke, he actually talks about how these entities went from being what they were to they evolved into they merged with their machines mm. and then at some point they became non-physical which is weird i mean i don't know how he maybe he just got lucky but <laughs> i doubt it i think he was a mason and i think he knew some things and i think they put these things what do they call predictive programming now that's kind of a buzzword right i think they're, they're, they're they put the truth in front of us as though it's entertainment or fiction, typically. 
because they want to distract or confuse or distort our perception of reality. And they do a pretty good job of it most of the time, but I see it falling apart. Absolutely. I think that's why they're acting more desperately. More increasingly, they're acting desperate because they, they know they're losing control over at least some of us mm-hmm. are starting to wake up. Yeah, I definitely see it that way. And um, I also wanted to ask you about your next book, which I know is on Malibu. I heard a bit yeah. about it so far and that you found some ancient megalithic structures in the Malibu area. And you've written about the importance of the Chumash Indians who had lived there for over 11,000 years, that they had a cosmology of three flat worlds, which is interesting. But yeah. what else can be said about them and their lore that might tie into the themes that we've been getting into? Well. Let me finish a little bit about what you asked previously, and then we'll go on to Malibu. Is that so? This world that he took over here, actually, this entire solar system, but especially the Earth, at some point, what we know of as Atlantis, he wasn't just doing genetic experiments for fun. He was doing that because he was building an army right. to attack his parents. All right. So he created Atlantis, was not, they didn't just get crazy and blow themselves up, they were wiped out because of this war. And he had created such a huge army here of genetic monsters and other technologies that were deadly and are deadly that his parents had to attack. So they wiped out most life on this world. And scientists call this the Younger Dryas event. Right. Okay. So whether it was caused by a comet or something else, like a super wave, it's irrelevant. Bottom line is that the world was essentially destroyed. But it was rebuilt. And guess who rebuilt it? It was Inky. He said he, he his parents told him, stand down. We are going to wipe that planet clean. You've made such a mess there. You're threatening our very existence with all the, the stuff that you've made there. And he claimed, oh, yeah, I'll, all right. Yes, yes, yes. I'll, you know, I'll step aside. Well, he didn't. He didn't. I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with the story of Noah, right. the biblical flood, right? The, the much older version is called the Epic of Gilgamesh. Right. And in there, the one that we think of as Noah is called Utnapishtim. I probably not, I'm not saying that well. Utnapishtim. It's something like that. Anyway, Enki, Lucifer, says to him, hey, there's a flood coming. I want you to build a boat and put some things in it, blah, blah, blah. That's the real story. It isn't the God of all creation. It's Enki trying to preserve his work. And it's it, I keep, the reason I keep mentioning him is because now we're going to go to Malibu. All right. Cool. <laughs> After I saw that boy nearly die at the house there on the beach where I was working as a security guard. And I started I was being attacked by the what I I didn't know what they were, but they looked like amoeba or actually they looked to me. I thought I knew they were parasites. That was my first impression. Actually, I thought I was just hallucinating. But then they were starting – something was attacking me. After the paramedics picked up the boy and took away, took him away, I felt like I was under attack, and I couldn't understand why. So I went up – it was an equinox. It was September 21st, 1985, and I went up on the mountains that evening, and I was watching the sunset. I was watching the moonrise. All at the same time, it was very interesting, and I started to meditate, and I had an out-of-body experience. <laughs> when I entered the light, 
this other dimension of being, which a lot of people are familiar with if they've ever studied it or actually experienced this mm-hmm. near-death, out-of-body experience, an entity, what looked like a man, approached me, and he was glowing brighter than the light that we were in, including even his eyes were glowing. And I looked at him and said, wow, who's that? I mean, I was just thinking to myself, like, who is this guy? And he said, I'm the father. And then he started laughing. Unfortunately, it wasn't a pleasant laugh. I know for people who've heard me say this before, oh, it wasn't sinister. I'm sorry. I was actually in denial. He 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 did a number on me. Okay, I'm sorry. It just it's just the way it is. He did, and it's not me. He does it to everybody. But again, I, I had no idea who that was until 2014. It took me that long to figure it out. And obviously, he wasn't helping. He wanted me to, I and mean, he looked like Christ, all right? I'm not going to lie. The guy looked like, and I'm sure he wanted me to think that too. When he said, I'm the father, well, if I was religious, I would think, oh, you mean like God? Yeah. But now you see this entity as Lucifer or Anki. Yeah, yeah, because, right, I've done my homework. And like right. I said, it wasn't easy to figure this out. Everything about him and his empire is very convoluted, but he thinks he's our father. Because he created us genetically in a laboratory to be his subjects of his crazy empire. Uh huh. And if this entity was uh, kind of deceptive in nature in its interactions with you, couldn't could it really be any entity that's just claiming to be uh, a certain archetype or a certain main figure in uh, the kind of the historical story? Well, of course, this is the thing. He is the father of all lies. He's considered the father of the archons. A master of deception. Like I said, he's very intelligent. He was a divine being, but now he's gone insane. So you're dealing with somebody that's very, very dangerous. The thing is, he's not alone. Mm. He he is not alone. He has created an entire empire of people that are loyal to him. And they have some of his skills, but they also have his mental issues as well. They're infected as well. They suffer from trauma. It's part of the... I mean, you like, look, you can't get into satanic cult or the Illuminati or whatever without being involved in something that's utterly uh, traumatic, right? Corrupt. Right. Okay. That's, that's why they act that way. They're all part of the same group. It's sort of like the vampires. Mm-hmm. And it is interesting because I have so many guests who have different perspectives on these entities like Lucifer and Enki, as you know. And most yeah. commonly, I hear the Gnostic perspective that the creator of this material world is the Demiurge or a tyrannical mm. lower god of some kind, and that Lucifer is the one to come down, wake humanity up and say, hey, you're living <laughs> in a construct run by an egotistical overlord. Let me lead you into overcoming that. But you yeah. contend that Lucifer is the overlord of this world, like the Demiurge and Lucifer yeah. is just one character. Remember, I told you he's got multiple personality disorder. Right. Okay, so not only does he, he make a very convoluted narrative, my understanding is he's not a victim. He knows on some level what he's doing, obviously, or he couldn't achieve what he's you know created this empire, which I believe is based on the, the research of my friend Wes Henry, P-E-N-R-E. I believe that this is a digital construct. We live in an artificial universe that he created. He didn't just create an empire. He created a very small synthetic universe that is administrated by an artificial intelligence. 
Mm-hmm. And it's only like four or five percent of the known universe that we actually exist in. Now, his mother, this is the other thing people don't realize that because he has put out so many false narratives, it's really hard to understand what happened and who he is. Right. But obviously, it's just like everybody else that's created, he has a mother. His father didn't create him. You know, give me an example of where anybody is created by their father alone. Seems like it's a partnership usually, mother and father. Yeah, that's the, that's the way it works as far as I know. Yeah. Or occasionally, I mean, again, according to Wes Penray, Lucifer was unusual because he was born from virgin birth. And that's something that the queen has the option to do because that's just, you know, that's part of her, the way she's designed. She can, if she chooses, she can have a virgin birth. And that was the difference. Um, so I say he has a half brother who's younger. So in other words, he, he does come from royalty, but he's also a royal pain in the ass. He really is. He knows how to break the law really well. And that's one of the reasons you see the analogy in the book, of so-called the Bible, where he, he tricks Eve into the original sin, which we're all suffering from, allegedly. He knows how to manipulate our thought process. And the thing is, he, he gets us to agree to do things, not just him, but he and his his minions, they know how to get us to agree to do things that are actually not to our, our, our own benefit. It's to, to serve them. Right, yeah. The reason he does that, Greg, is because he knows that his parents and the entire Orion Empire actually has a legal system and that he has violated so many different laws. But he can point, he can say, well, look, they, they agreed to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, which kind of negates some of the the penalties that are being leveled at him and his minions here. Now, the thing about Atlantis is he didn't stop there. He rebuilt Atlantis. That's why Sir Francis Bacon calls America the new Atlantis. That wasn't an accident. He didn't just kind of like fabricate that. They knew all along that they were going to rebuild. And so the secret space program and the super soldiers and all that stuff, that's all Enki's doing. It's only secret to those of us who don't need to know what he's up to and has been up to for a long time, because why should we know? We're just subjects of the empire. It doesn't matter if we know or not, right? Right. And another element of that apparently is that, well, you know, while we're slaves in the system from cradle to grave, yeah. even then the control scheme isn't over because we have the death trap to worry about, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And that, again, is a huge violation of our free will, unless when we pass over and our soul is liberated from the physical bondage and they trick us into coming back down into the physical form, then there's nothing that the divine beings can do to intervene. So it's a really tricky situation. And and I liken it to a hostage situation. Right. And there's a lot of danger involved in all of this. But the reason I even talking about this a lot lately is because we're being encouraged to merge with machine, become basically cyborgs. And that is to further serve his agenda, which is to ultimately use a contingent of us to attack his family in the Orion belt Hmm. where the court of Orion is located. So we are legitimate targets. Again, this is a problem. 
Most people don't know it. Obviously, some people do. I, I like politicians. The ones that are, you know, these satanic pedophilia type thing that they got going on, that's all part of his empire. And they know it. Mm-hmm. They, they're deep into it. I think oh, I feel bad for a lot of those people. I don't think they can get out if they wanted to. Yeah, that very well may be. And let's elaborate on the death trap a bit, because I think that's very interesting. And a lot of yeah. people that might be new to them. But the idea is that when we die, I mean, we we've all heard of reincarnation, that we come back in other cycles, <laughs> but we're coming right back to a yeah. prison planet, coming right back to a human crop farm, an energy farm. And we're just having our memories wiped and living these lives as they kind of suck us dry. So I guess what I'm asking is knowing what you know, what do you plan on doing at the time of death? How can we escape the cycle? Well, there is an article on my website. It's actually Wes Penray wrote it called How to Avoid the Death Trap. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm going to try. I'd like to believe that that's a possibility, (laughs) you know? So what are you going to do? You die, everything goes dark, and then uh, what does Robert Stanley do? Well, then they're going to show me the tunnel of light, and the guides are going to show up, and I'm going to tell them to politely go F themselves. Okay. I'm not going into their light. I'm not going back into the bug zapper. I, I will turn my back on them and their false light and look for the grid. Now, this is the, I know this sounds like just you know crazy talk, but it turns out, a couple of years ago, scientists actually found another energy field around the planet beyond the Van Allen radiation belts. Hmm. And they said to themselves, what the hell is that? It looks like something out of Star Trek. <laughs> and, you know, I, West didn't know anything about that when he wrote what he wrote about the, what he calls it the grid. Part of the soul trap is some sort of energy field around our planet. And that is so even if you wanted to get out, you know, it would prevent you from traveling Mm. on your own beyond that. Like fish in a net, really. We can't get out. Yeah, it didn't used to be a grid or a net. It used to be it was just a field of energy. I mean, according to Wes, it only recently became perforated like a net or a grid. It's only since 87 to 2012 when our consciousness has gradually been liberated. Hmm. There's been waves of energy have been coming, washing over this planet since that time. Anybody who's lived between 87 and 2012, they've had their consciousness altered dramatically. I mean, in a good way. That's why the Archons are freaking out, because they know that we're slowly waking up and can no longer be manipulated as easily by them. Mm -hmm. So after 2012 is when things really have been accelerating, because the divine beings, that's just what I'm going to call them, the ones who are still well, who have intact consciousness, know that what they're dealing with here is consciousness, energy, and matter. So the way that they are helping to heal us is by sending extra waves of energy slash consciousness to us. And that will help reactivate and has been reactivating our DNA, which has been badly manipulated And a lot of it, what they call the junk DNA, has been switched off. That was part of what he did to us. Mm -hmm. Now, when we die, as you said, when we're sent back, they actually get us agree to, it'll go like this. Okay, so Robert, you've had a good life or whatever. But now, you know, there's this family down there. 
that would <laughs> back on earth that they would really like to have whatever little boy or girl mm-hmm. and they would benefit from you doing this and that with them and you know in other words they they do a sales job on me all right they try to force you to reincarnate or convince you well, make you guilt you into reincarnating yes somehow they would know what triggers me to say oh okay sure but then here's the kicker you know it would be a lot easier for you and them if you were to forget your previous family and friends, hmm. you could just start over. That way everything will work a lot better. It's the kind of crap that they pull on people. And so, you know, I, I look, <laughs> it shouldn't be this easy, but they are, they're really good at it. That's, that's the problem. Right. So they, they, but they, I don't know if it's technology or what, but they definitely know how to erase a person's consciousness or part of their memory I don't know that it's maybe it's more it's just blocked because I know what what he did to me that night on the mountain when I, I I've been meditating for hours and I laid down I was just going to rest for a little while I wasn't planning on going to sleep I just needed to rest before I would go back to meditating and asking for help but when I laid down I I had that you ever had that feeling, what they call falling asleep, where you literally feel like you're falling and you kind of snap yourself back like, whoa, you know, because yes. that's the normal thing. If you fall, you, you nobody wants to fall, <laughs> right? I tried, you normally, you catch yourself and then you just like kind of just jerk away. Not that you're fully asleep yet. So anyway, I, I had that sensation. I felt like I was falling, but I didn't fight it. I just let it go. And that's how I ended up having that out. Just it was very, very smooth transition. I was just, just went out of my body right into that other dimension. And I wasn't there. It felt like I was there for I don't know, a minute or so, until I was confronted by him. I mean, literally in my face. And the next thing I know, when he started laughing at me, I sat, I sat up in my body, a hundred percent awake. And I thought, I really thought maybe a couple minutes had passed and I was just having some weird vision, hallucination of something, right? Right. Because obviously I'd had a very stressful day. <laughs> and here I am up in the wilderness at night and, the, you know, the moon. It's like, it was bizarre, right? But I, so I've set up and I'm thinking, God, that was weird. And then I looked and because when I laid down, the moon was pretty much directly overhead. When I sat up, the moon was now setting on the horizon, which was out meant hours had gone by. Mm-hmm. Missing time. Well, yeah, but I mean, okay, so I say, oh, you fell asleep. No, I don't even sleep that well in a bed. I was laying on cement. And I, I mean, I really, I've got sleep problems. I don't, I, you know, I don't, I can't sleep like that for hours at a shot. And even, and if I do sleep, especially, how could I go from being 100% lucid? to having blank, nothing, nothing, okay? <laughs> it's a mystery. Well, okay, yes, it was up until the time I went back to work, and it got, the mystery got deeper. I went back to work after the sun came up. I go back to the beach because I had to go to work, and it was really nagging me that I saw the paramedics take the boy away in the ambulance, and I knew he was, I mean, come on, you can't run into, I knew he was bleeding to death, I just, I wouldn't know if, if he lived or not. And, and it's not, it wasn't just curiosity. There was something else pushing me. So I went back to the house. I went inside and I talked to the grandparents. They said he had lost a lot of, a lot of blood. Yeah. 
and that he had to have over 300 stitches in his face and head hmm. and that he was, he's going to live. I'm like, okay, great. And then I, <laughs> and then I heard myself saying, cause that's exactly what it felt like. You can heal the scars on his face, but unless you heal the scars on his soul, this is going to happen again. The Archon connection. Well, I didn't know that. Not I had no understanding. No, I was completely clueless. But I mean, and so when the words came out of my mouth, I was shocked. I felt horrible for his grandparents because they'd been traumatized. They'd already been through some hell. And here I am saying this and I'm like, did I just say that? Mm-hmm. Well, oh, God, I was embarrassed. I felt <laughs> bad, you know. And actually, it, even now, I feel tears. But this sort of taught you about the Archon influence and then I assume uh, aspects of the death trap? Well, the thing is, I couldn't understand why I was saying that. And what I really believe is that I was out of my body for a lot longer than just a few seconds or minutes. And then I was traveling in the astral plane or whatever you want to call it in a non-physical sense. I think I must have seen the boy. Because that's who I am. That's just how I am. I'm very empathic. And even though I didn't know this boy or his grandparents, I got sucked into that. The trauma that they were experiencing. In other words, I was I was concerned, obviously. And so if I had the ability to visit him in the hospital, I think that's what I did. I have no memory of it. But hmm. that would explain why I said to them, you need to heal the scars on his soul. Right. Castanetus wrote about this a little bit, and it was not very clear to me, but I do think that when they feed off of our energy, it does have a scarring effect on us. Certainly on our emotions, whatever that may be, are scarred, right? Our psyche is scarred. That's the terminology we use. So, And he had, <laughs> he, he already had a scar on his head prior to him running into the, to the sliding glass door. I saw it. It was a very deep scar. Right. Right. I mean, and so he, this wasn't the first time I saw, I kind of logically, I knew something bad was happening with this kid, but here's the deal. So after, after I left the house and I went, I sat down, I had a little security post there on the beach and um, this girl came up to me. She knew me. She she was very excited and I was extremely tired and confused. But she says to me, Robert, I saw you in my dream last night. I'm like, so what? And she said, uh, you taught me how to fly. Hmm. And I, I, I did. And she says, yeah, you took me up to the mountains. I go, what? <laughs> she says, yeah, you took me. You, she said, it was kind of like Peter Pan. You took my hand. We flew up to the mountains. And she says, you taught me how to fly. And then once I got the hang of it, you you followed me back down to my, my house and made sure I was home safe. And then you left. That's strange. I'm like, I'm looking at her because this, and this was completely out of character for this person. Right. I mean, it was like metaphysics was, and she says to me, I think this has something to do with spirituality. I read something about this in my psych class once. I'm looking at her and thinking, I I can't believe you're saying this to me, but you know, it's like, and then I was thinking, wait a second, wait a second. If I really was out of my body and I was up in the mountains, maybe I would, oh, because geographically, her house was not far from where I was. Hmm. Okay. It would have been to the South, just due South of where I was in the mountains. I could have easily gone to her. Yeah. Right now. I don't know why I did that, but 
other than if I take it at face value, I was trying to teach her something about her, her spiritual self. Yeah, that would totally make sense. Okay, but it, but it didn't stop there, Greg. All right. <laughs> I went home after work and my grandmother called me. Geographically, she lives just due north of where I was that night in the mountains. And she says, she tells me that she saw me at the foot of her bed in a dream. She said it was the most amazing dream she's ever had, that she saw me standing at the foot of of the bed telling her something. But she couldn't remember what it was because she was so blown away by my appearance. She said I was lit up like a Christmas tree. There Hmm. (laughs) there There was lights all around me, dancing around me. And she, my grandmother, this complete opposite of this young lady, very spiritual woman, but she never told me anything about any of her dreams ever. That was the only time. And so for both of those women, that cannot be a hallucination, <laughs> right? That has to be an example or a testimony of what I was doing. I, I considered that actually a divine intervention. I know Enki wasn't involved in that. I There's other beings, his family. I think this is like a giant chess game that's being played. It's not a game, but I mean, if I had to use an analogy, I would say this is like nine-dimensional chess. And they wanted me to know what I'd been doing. Because if, if those two women hadn't told me that, I would have thought I was going nuts and I would have completely gone into denial and said none of that happened. None of that was real. Mm-hmm. Okay, the parasites, this this glowing guy that got in my face, none of that could be real, unless those two women witnessed to me yeah. what they told me. Okay, that is what launched me all these decades <laughs> later. And we're still talking about it because it's significant. It's relevant to the human condition. Right. I mean, the real human condition, right? So the thing is, I went back up to the mountains looking for whoever this guy is, I thought maybe I could find him again and ask him some questions. That's when I first found the ancient megalithic statues up in those mountains. Hmm. Right. That is so interesting. And clearly you did have a lot of personal experiences, but time yeah. is going by so fast oh, here. Okay, I do want to get back just to the, uh, the death trap. Make sure yeah. we close that, wrap that topic up because we were sure. saying that uh, at the moment of death, you're going to see the w- tunnel of light. Yeah. You're going to tell the people who greet you there to fuck off, and then you're going to do what? You talked about oh, the energy oh, oh, grid, right, the idea right, of a net, but what should people do at that moment of death if they want to escape this cycle onto the, the greater big picture, escape the trap, yeah. throw off the shackles? What are the steps? Thank you, Greg. Sorry. I, I tend to wander. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, no, that's a good good one. So the way Wes puts it is that at that point, when we look away from the light, we turn our back on them, we will see a grid or a net and to look for the spaces in between and simply intend to go through it. That's the first step, just intention. And that will transport, allegedly transport a soul through the net and beyond. And now where you go from there is, uh, is completely up to you. But for me, I would like to go and visit the court of Orion if, it's, if that's at all possible, I would like to go there, mainly because I have some questions. I, so. I, I got a few questions to ask these guys, okay, because, I mean, I, they put me on a treadmill. <laughs> I have been doing uh, service for them for 
it feels like a long time. And some of the artifacts that I found actually, I think, prove that, mm -hmm. that, that there's a, a connection, direct connection to Iran. But anyway, again, what Wes is saying is you could go anywhere in the universe after that, because that's the first step towards leaving Enki's synthetic universe is get out of the soul trap, that energy grid around the planet. Once you're beyond there, you have a greater ability to, and that's why he put up the grid or the net, whatever you want to call it. Not only just a soul trap, you know, he knows we can, um, what do they call that like biolocate. Now it's, it's like remote viewing, but you're projecting, uh, astral project. Yeah. Like it's like astral traveling. Yes. That's a, right. Okay. So what I was describing myself doing, that's a natural state of being for us when we're healthy. So they didn't want us to have that ability. They not only imprisoned us physically, they don't allow our souls to travel very far. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, I mean, it takes a huge effort to get beyond that. At least it used to. But the other thing Wes said was that the reason the holes exist is because as people wake up, their consciousness becomes empowered. And we have been poking holes in that force field, sort of like pecking at the egg from the inside. It's strong from the outside, but you know, from if you pack it from the inside, it'll crack. Right. And that's that's the whole thing is that as more and more of us are waking up and realizing that we're, our free will is being violated, and that we're just imprisoned here, and obviously that's that goes directly against the human condition. It's not the way we were created. Right. And this info largely comes from Wes Penray, as you've mentioned. I know he's a huge influence on you and your research. But do you know where he's getting this information from? Because I expect <laughs> these to be some of the most guarded secrets on Earth. Yeah, obviously. Some of it he is not saying. He can't divulge his sources, at least not yet. And not even to me as a friend. And I've only known Wes since I started reading his stuff in 2014, late. I've reached out to him and obviously we have some common ground and I, I mean, he blew my mind actually. And I think I've blown his mind a couple of times. Not that that's what we, that's not all we want to do. It's just that, you know, it's been pretty surprising. Some of the level of uh, information that we're sharing or realizations or insights, whatever you want to call it. And most people don't know about him. I didn't, I, it was completely by accident that I ran across some of the stuff. Again, I think you know, the thing about the way the divine beings work is that they're very uh, subtle, you know, and they never violate our free will. They'll make suggestions, but they, you know, and sometimes they have to intervene forcefully in a crisis, but they never want any kind of promotion or publicity or, you know, they don't need that. In fact, it's actually kind of, I think it's kind of dangerous mm -hmm. for them. So you think there's something subtly influencing Wes to give him this information? Of course. Uh, and sometimes it's not that subtle. I think he's asked for it. And I think, you know, it's a it's a huge responsibility what he's doing. He has a very un unique style. And it's not for everybody. He also admits that his early writing is not as advanced as the later writing. I mean, you could if you start with the first paper there. What he calls the first level of learning, you can see that he is still trying to figure it out. I'm not saying he has all the answers either. It's just that you can see his thinking and awareness progress from one paper to the next to the next. Mm -hmm. And he said the reason he didn't go back and correct it is because he just, he wanted to be very transparent about his process. 
Right. And I I did read some Wes Penray in preparation, and oh. he's great because he does talk about some other opinions in his papers, too. Uh, there's a part where he talks about the idea of a grand portal. He says, because we're all fractions of the Queen of Orion, you shouldn't try to ascend alone. But the experiment might have an end date around 2080 with something wow. called the grand portal opening up and that... The elite or the archons are trying desperately to reach the technological singularity before then yeah. so they can prolong the trap maybe indefinitely. Yeah. He also says, because of our violent nature, many star races don't want us to leave the planet and travel into space. <laughs> they are so. afraid that we would create conflicts and wars and try to conquer other worlds wherever we go. This is a given if the singularity happens because according to their famous singularity guru, Dr. Ray Kurzweil, Post-humans, or the singularity cyborg race that will replace us, their next step after the singularity is to conquer space. This is right. directly from the horse's mouth. Thus, the star race's concerns are well-grounded. And that is uh, amazing stuff, man. I mean, he also, just to fill that fill in the gaps there, he says, Some races have complained to the queen and asked her to terminate the human experiment altogether, while other star races still want to give humanity a chance to evolve and break free of our chains, the queen apparently decided to wait and see. I mean, right. that's uh, pretty wild, but I guess in our lifetime, perhaps, if I if I make it to uh, the ripe old age of nearly 100, but 2080, that's intense. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's coming up at us very quickly, you know, and the, the other thing is that they, they have life extension technology, we're not supposed to live such short lifespans. That's artificial. They made us right. Right. This part of the it makes it easier to control us. Just like we don't see them in the light spectrum outside of our narrow range. True. True. That was done to us as well. So yes, we've we've been badly manipulated and lied to. And uh, yes, all that needs to stop. And I believe it is coming to an end. I don't know exactly the date. And actually, I think it's a series of events. It's not just an event, right, that will culminate in our liberation. And the other thing that was shown to me as I was having a, a telepathic dialogue with some of the I consider to be divine beings, at least I hope that's who I was talking to, when I asked them, how in the world are you going to resolve this, they showed me not only these waves of energy, but how people's DNA would switch on and how whether they like it or not, everybody was going to gradually have increased awareness and there would be no way that they could be lied to anymore. That was to be very painful for a lot of people. But some people are actually going to willingly choose to continue down the path with Enki. And that blew my mind when they, they were actually trying to warn me that you need to prepare yourself for this. Mm. Some prisoners like to go back to jail, too. Yes, exactly. That was the analogy that I offer. I Yes, you're right. So we a lot of souls have been here for far too long under these conditions, and the thought of being free within the universe is frightening to them. So, yes, they, they're going to choose to remain in some sort of imprisoned state of being for I don't know how long. That's completely up to them, but... For me, uh, no way. Ah, <laughs> hmm. uh, God, I've had enough of this. <laughs> Amen, man. I mean, it can get you down for sure the more you research it. Well, man, we really uh, ran the gambit here. We talked about pretty much yeah. everything there is in the spectrum of things to discuss. Rabbit holes, they do go deep. You know, since we aren't on a seriously strict time limit, that's the joys of having control of your own network. Are there 
any other aspects maybe we haven't touched on or things in your research that you've yet to talk or write about that could help further our understanding of the big picture before we really wrap this up? Yeah, there's something I, I don't want to, I, I have my, have a really hard time explaining this to people because it's so, look, in Malibu, there was the great flood. The first people were destroyed in that flood. That was a form of genocide. And I understand why Enki's parents did that. They had to do that. They felt it was necessary for their, their own survival. But it was genocide nonetheless. And I actually blame Enki for it. I mean, if he hadn't created the, the mess, then, you know, we all of us who were there at the time would not have had to suffer that kind of devastation of the deluge. But after recreating he started it all up again. And even though the Shumash lived a fairly intact life for thousands of years, earth years, they were genocided by the Franciscan Brotherhood, which is extension of the Vatican, you know. Mm -hmm. So there's at least two genocides that had occurred in Malibu. And unfortunately, there's a third one that's going on now. Mm. And I really hate to even bring it up but the levels of radiation there are extremely high they have been it actually started believe it or not some of this stuff actually boggles my mind because i thought i knew these things yeah i mean i grew up there but mm -hmm. i mean i i knew about the nuclear accidents just you know over the hill Back in the 50s, I was there. I was I was still in vitro. My mom was pregnant when the, the first reactor was vented, just not even 10 miles from our house. And they did that a series of times, 59 to 64. They, they vented it directly into the atmosphere. They didn't tell anybody. And that was NASA, by the way. That was the Department of Energy. That was a crime. What they were doing was crime. <laughs> but they did it, right? But it turns out the first nuclear material brought into Malibu was for pottery, of all things, down in central Malibu, near the Malibu Pier. There's a place called Malibu Potteries, and they were bringing in uh, the glaze that they were using for their tiles was radioactive. It had cobalt uranium in it. Jeez. I know. So you guess what happens when you put that in a kiln? Anybody who doesn't want to kill them, it's basically a really hot fire. So you know what happens? Some of that stuff just goes poof. It goes right up into the air. But it doesn't just keep going into outer space. It falls down into the environment. And it stays there for a long, long time. So central Malibu has been radioactive since the mid to late, mid to late 20s. Hmm. Yeah. And eventually, thank God, the whole building caught on fire. They stopped doing that. But now what's, what's going on? What happened in Japan with the reactors? They're leaking. You know, that's, you probably saw that story right? recently. They're saying Fukushima. They're saying that it's leaking worse than ever. It's actually killing the robots that they go send in there. Hmm. And they're saying that this is going to contaminate the planet entirely this is the worst environmental catastrophe 
you know, that's obviously not the only place, right? There's mm -hmm. radioactivity all over the planet. And this is the direct result, I feel, of what most people would understand as the Anunnaki, the Illuminati, the Chittahuri. These are the same guys under different names, but they're all Enki. This is his empire, right? So I'm not sure what their love affair is with radioactivity, but they've turned this planet into a really hot mess. And we know that there's been multiple extinction events on this planet that are probably naturally occurring, but not all of them are. And the, the, it's just hard for me even to say this, Greg, because I feel horrible about this, but there is a very slow genocide underway. I know for a fact because part of my research for the next book is how many people have contracted and died from cancer in Malibu. Mm. It's huge. Most of them that I cite are movie stars or celebrities because their lives are in the public record. A lot of the people I know that got sick in their obituaries, it's not on there because their family didn't want to disclose it. I don't know why, but that's their choice. Okay, I understand. There's also been, I know for a fact, there's been a lot of suicide in Malibu because I, I, I saved that boy, I think, you know, he was suicidal, but I mean, I, I knew like eight or nine people that killed themselves in Malibu. I almost became one of them. Hmm. So that's, that's a huge issue too. But like I said, the, the bigger picture is the genocide is happening. And just like the Shumash replaced the first people, the next level is as humans physically start to pass away, they're going to be replaced by the automatons, the cyborgs. I'm sorry to say that, but that's the goal. I hope it doesn't happen, but that is part of the agenda. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, very sorry to say that. Hey, got to hear the truth, regardless of how uncomfortable <sighs> it may be. Yeah, well, thank you for letting me be a guest and, and share what I've learned or yeah. what I think is accurate and hopefully it helps some people. I would also say that, you know, if every, <laughs> I know some people are going to have questions or comments. So I do answer all my email through my website at unicusmagazine.com. Right on. The third and final book should be out this year. That's my goal. And it's all at uh, my website at unicusmagazine.com. It's spelled U-N-I-C-U-S magazine.com. Most of the information there is for free. I would urge people, strongly urge people to read the article there called Technocide. There's a ton of links there. I don't expect people to read everything, but you should at least for your own edification about what's what's happening, where humanity is headed. Please, 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 you need to check that out. So, mm. uh, yeah. Solid, heavy stuff, but definitely. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. I, I hate to leave you on a, that, that sour note, but. You know, okay, despite what I just told you, I'm extremely optimistic because I know who we really are. I know that there's a life, there's an eternal life for us and that we are divine beings. And that's not going to stop no matter what Enki and his minions do. Eventually, we all will pass away physically anyway. But I, what I'm concerned about is a lot of people are going to agree 
thinking that they're going to get immortality by going, you know, signing up for the AI program, Secularity, whatever you want to call it, becoming a cyborg is a really bad idea. And most people aren't aware of it. So hopefully they, hopefully they see through that. Well, it's gradual. They got it in our pockets now and soon in our bodies. Right. That's, that's right. Right, 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 right. So anyway, like I said, we have a tremendous potential as these seeds of life in the garden. I, it's, it's, it's kind of difficult. Words actually would pale if I tried to describe to you how incredibly profound we are and the potential that we have that's being unrealized is, is just, well, I feel it's, it's infinite. Mm-hmm. So, so try and hold on to, Oh, 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 okay. Real quick. Three things I do recommend to people when you're dealing with the archons uh, in society right now is being three things, calm, kind, and creative. I know that sounds simple. It's not but being calm when people are, you know, losing their mind and going crazy. That's mm-hmm. really, really difficult, but it's essential. Especially today. Especially today, because that is like, if you think that these people, like if you look at them and you thought, wow, God, they're on fire, they're flaming crazy. If you start getting pissed off at them, you're actually pouring gasoline on the fire and you're feeding the archons exactly what they want. So if you don't control your emotions, somebody else or something else will. That's what I've learned. So we actually have, we can make a huge difference every day just by being calm in the midst of a crisis. Number two, being kind is extremely important because if you have that capacity, that means that you're not terribly infected. You know, if you have some empathy towards others, if you show kindness, especially when others are being cruel, that is part of the antidote Mm -hmm. to the infection. Number three is probably the most important. Be creative. Why? Because we were created by a creator to be creative. It's part of our divine nature. It's, It's constructive. It is who... Like I said, it's part of who we are, but if we deny that aspect of ourselves, it will atrophy, and we become weaker, and so does the all of creation. So it doesn't matter what it is. Any creative act is a step in the right direction, and you'll find it. You actually start to enjoy it more and more as you do it, and you can share it with others, and it has a very cumulative effect. So please, those are three very simple things. Be calm, be kind, and creative whenever possible, and you'll find things actually are getting better. Right on. Great. Thank you. Solid advice, man. Cheers (laughs) to that. Okay. All right, Greg. All right. Yeah. Thanks so much for laying this all out for us and keep fighting the good fight. Take care out there. Praise Jesus, people. Robert Stanley. Big thanks to him for answering my call. He was a recommendation from the Higher Side Chats Plus forum, and I do hope it was everything you guys dreamed of and more. And when I heard Robert was talking about the death trap in his material, I was totally in because after the political season and all the stuff going on and three Pizzagate pedophile ring shows and Archons and the Death Trap episode is really just what I needed. You could think of it as an even more soul-crushing, no pun intended, paradigm, but for me, I was happy to go down this road. The recommendation from the forum was really more focused on the Lucifer Anki aspect of Robert's work, and to be honest, There were just a lot of other aspects that I personally was more interested in. We have so many researchers now who are compiling their breakdowns of the Anunnaki family tree and who's good and bad and who's pretending to be good but is really a deceiver. Well, he's a trickster entity, but tricksters aren't really bad. 
I mean, I get it. I really do. Everyone has the best intentions, but to really debate Anki and Lil stuff is not what I like to do. I see its importance. I know its implications. I've heard many arguments, and it is what it is. There are just a lot of opinions. And of course, not everyone has done the research and had personal interactions with Lucifer himself. That's not nothing. So I do appreciate Robert sharing that. AI replacements for prominent politicians. I mean, yeah. I do wish we could have spent a little more time on his work into Malibu megaliths. He's got some really impressive photos that should be looked at. They very well could be ancient man-made structures along the Malibu coastline. We touched on it, more of that really in the Plus show, but you gotta see the pictures to make up your own mind. I think some of them are super interesting, and it's not a stretch to me at all that there would be man-made structures that have eroded so that we can't recognize them right in plain sight. Malibu would just be one of many. I mean, it's still really cool, but there are so many holes in the official narrative now that throwing another place on the pile shouldn't really shock anyone. So another episode in the can. I hope you are entertained and are walking away with at least a few things to think about. I am always really compelled with that prison planet idea. Anyone who reads conspiracy news probably saw that report that the Black Knight satellite has been shot down or taken down. It's been talked about in episodes with Olaf Phillips and a few others, but it's been a while. But there's this big ass thing out there that does seem to be out there. A lot of people do have pictures and the suggestion is that it is ancient. It might go back to Joseph Farrell's Cosmic War, a remnant left in orbit, or some suggest a device to keep us grounded here on the Earth, the very invisible bars of our prison planet. Because the idea that we're locked here is in a lot of mythology, but to consider a real physical device creating a barrier, that's interesting. But there are reports that this thing was shot down, which would mesh with the idea that the deep state is trying to jailbreak us out of here, or themselves really, but whatever. You know, look around and you can find that story about the Black Knight satellite. I don't know how you're going to verify any of that, but it is interesting. That's all I can really say. So if you are listening to the first free hour on YouTube or Stitcher or some podcast app, know that there is a second hour to every Higher Side Chats episode if you sign up for THC Plus for five bucks a month. Sure, you could just go to the next show on your rotation out of many, and it'll all be free, but this show does need that kind of support. It's not my favorite model in the world, but the show has to come commercial-free, and we are all fighting a solitary economic uphill battle, so it can't just all be out of the kindness of my heart. It is, though. And thanks to the Plus members who do sign up, it is because of them that I'm able to provide everyone else with the first free hour, and know that we're not going anywhere. So big thanks to them either way. In the Plus Show with Robert today, we finally got back to that topic of the Chumash Indians that I brought up. Something I thought was very cool, but it did get away from us in the first hour. We also talked about stitching as well. We got into the Billy Meyer saga, and I talked about why his representative was denied from the higher side airwaves. Oh shit, did not expect that to come up. It's not really that big of a deal, but underground Archon legends from South American culture and the idea of Archon cities under our very feet in modern times. Portals on the planet, the Bermuda Triangle, missing people, questions about the Vatican influence and NASA, the stuff we've all come to wonder about. I try to give you as much as I can in that first hour, and 
squeeze even more into the second. Sign up for Plus and you will get years of archives, lifetime membership to the new forum system where your suggestions are heard. That's how we got today's episode. And of course, you can download all the THC cover songs that end these lovely, lovely episodes. And speaking of that, we got a new one today. My good buddy Tony has a bit of musical talent and makes a lot of good stuff in his spare time. And an idea came to me when I was listening to some of the old 90s nerd rock I used to love. So I wrote up some lyrics and solicited the help of this dear friend Tony. And it's not really relevant to today's show, but it covers a glaring omission from the array of THC closing covers we've done so far. The goal is to have at least one that is relevant to every type of show we do around here. So I'm sure you'll hear it again. But that is it for me this week, guys. Big thanks to Robert Stanley once again and to all the listeners who enjoy what I do and continue to tune in every episode. Much love to you guys. I've done my part. Your move, Arconic Overlords of the Soul Recycling System in our prison planet paradigm. Your fucking move. Hit it, Tony. So uh-huh.